All right, church, good morning, and let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27. That's where we're going to be this morning. All right, let me begin by reading verse 1. It says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, and he, he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel. Nabal's widow. And, it was, and when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the uh, Jezerites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made raid today? David would say, against the Negeb of Judah, or against the Negeb of Dremiel. The Dremielites are against the Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring the news to Gath, thinking, least they should tell about us and say, so David, was, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so I, I want to start off with an analogy this morning to help us to uh, get in the right mind frame. Uh, and the analogy I want to use is traveling. Uh, it's fresh on my mind because we were just in... San Antonio for several days this past week, and um, and you know so when when you travel, there are usually different ways to get to a certain place wherever it is that you're going. I use the uh, example of San Antonio. You can get there ma mainly two ways: either through 87, that's kind of like the scenic route. Um, that's the way I like to go. It takes a little bit longer just because you're going through some country roads and speed limits a little bit um, slower, but. You can also go through I-10, and I-10 is just not the scenic route. It's just, you know, four-lane highway many times, and it, it, it just gets you there, right? So those are two ways you can get to uh, San Antonio. But I, I like to relate that to a sin, right? There are many ways are, there are many ways we can get to sin, and doubt is one of the ways that can get us to a sinful place real quick. Um, and we have to be careful with doubt because there are some big 
And uh, there, there are some big dangers that come along with it. Uh, recognizing uh, that we're on the road to sin is very important and uh, making sure that we get off that road, taking the detour is, uh, or taking the feeder uh, is, is very, very important. So today, uh, I want us to look at the subject of doubt as it's depicted here in First uh, Samuel chapter 27. I want us to see how doubt led David to sin against the Lord. And let me remind you again, right, to sin against the Lord again, almost the same sin that he had committed several chapters before. And uh, when you start to look at behaviors, again, I, I can't help but compare Saul to David. And the only difference is the spirit of the Lord restraining David. The only difference. I mean, Saul repeats his sin as well, but, but yet the Lord has sent a harmful spirit upon him and he is not repentful. David sins and he's repentful and the Lord restores him. And uh, the only reason why the Lord restores him is because he is repentful. And then you can kind of connect the dots. The only reason why he's repentful is because he has the spirit of the Lord, right? So if we follow that train of thought, we get to ourselves. The only difference between us and the most horrible sinner is the spirit of the Lord. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is what's changed us. It's what's changed our hearts. It's, it's conforming us to his will and to his word. Uh, so there's a, a lot there to praise God for. But when we speak about doubt, uh, we see how doubt led David to sin against the Lord again. And we need to recognize this. Doubt, if unchecked, will definitely lead you to a sinful place in life. Um, with doubt, though, there are certain landmarks. Using the analogy of travel again, there are certain landmarks that you can, you can depict, you can see along the way that can warn you. Um, that can tell you, hey, you're, you're headed in the wrong direction. You're headed in, 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 a, in a harmful way. And you need to be able to recognize uh, these landmarks and know that you're headed for trouble. So the very first thing that we see in our chapter, and kind of a, a landmark, if you will, is the fact that doubt is devised in the heart, right? Doubt is devised in the heart. Uh, it's, it's found in our heart, in other words. So every journey has a beginning everywhere, no matter where you go. On the way to church this morning, you have to start wherever you started, right? Your end point was here, but you have to start where you started. Uh, the journey uh, of doubt is no different. Uh, the sin of doubt begins somewhere. And the Bible tells us that the beginning of uh, sin is found in our hearts. And we look at the passage in verse 1, it says, Then David said in his heart, Right, that's like the, uh, the, the first quarter of the passage of, uh, of verse 1. So what we recognize there is that through the contemplations of David's heart, we find out that he, he didn't think that it was going to work out. It was going to work out for him uh, with Saul. He's, he's, he's doubting uh, God's plan for him. He's doubting his safety, his well-being, uh, everything just... He's just not in a good place, and if we recognize this, he, if we recognize it, he continues to flip-flop. Uh, he's in a good place, and he's not. He's in a good place, and he's not. Who does that sound like? Does that remind you of you? I hope it does. It reminds me of me. Many times, I'm in a good place. This is a good week, and then, you know, here comes a day. Don't bother me today, right? And then all over again, I'm in a good place again, right? And we go back and forth, back and forth. Well, David, in this state of doubt, he, he says in his heart, uh, that's very, 
very important for us to recognize that through the contemplations of David's heart and David's heart alone, he doesn't think that he's going to make it from this trial, uh, from Saul hunting him down. So the plan that he makes in his heart is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Now, the reason why he plans this in his heart is because he thinks he'll be safe there. Why? Because the Philistines, again, are enemies of Saul. Only problem is, is that the Philistines are enemies of David, too. And we've already found out that they hate David more than they actually hate Saul. Because David is the one who has killed more of their people, and he actually killed Goliath. Right? So they would love to have David in their hands. They would love to be rid of David. Um, but again, when we are afraid, when we're fearful, when we're doubtful, we're not thinking rationally. It's irrationally that we think. So David is thinking, well, they're the enemies of Saul, so then therefore I'll be safe there because Saul will not pursue me any longer. Now, this is the same place and the same king that David ran from in chapter 21. Now, when David initially escaped there, you'll remember that he had done so because he was, he was deathly afraid of King Saul. Uh, King Saul was chasing after him. He did not want to die at the hands of King Saul, so he ran to his enemies the very first time in chapter 21. He was thinking irrationally. Well, right away, David regretted his decision because as soon as King Achish saw him, he recognized him. David knew that he was in trouble. And the Bible tells us in chapter 21 that David had to act like he was mad, like he was crazy in order to escape. And he barely made it out with his life. Now, David's decision causes us to ask a question. At least it caused me to ask a question. Why would David do this again? Like the very first time you barely made it out. It wasn't a good idea at all. In fact, he didn't get to spend much time there because as soon as they recognized him, it was like, oh, we finally have David. So why would David think this is a good reason? All right, this is, why would David make this decision? Well, because of doubt. That, that's the answer. Or if you want to put it another way, because a lack of trust in the Lord. Think about your own life. Think about when you made the dumbest decisions of your life as a Christian. It goes back to doubt and it goes back to a lack of trust in the Lord. Right? Many times it does go back to that. It's like, well, God's not doing anything here and now, so I have to do something. Well, the truth is we know that God is always doing something. We know that God is always at work. Even in times where we have to wait, we are told to be still, right? Because God is at work and God will do his thing. We just have to trust. We have to wait at times. And that is the, the hardest thing to do. So when we see that God is not doing anything and we start to doubt God's care for us, we start to doubt God's providence for our lives, then we want to take things into our own hands and we do some very foolish things. Well, David's decision here is very foolish. Why? Because he's taking matters into his own, into his own hands, so to speak. Instead of seeking the Lord and the Lord's will, David just decides in his heart that this is the best thing to do. I think that's important for us to see. Uh, David had access to the ephod, and he also had access to the Lord's prophets. But David does not seek the Lord at all. He does not seek the word of the Lord. Rather, Scripture tells us that David said in his heart. In other words, 
David decided in his heart that this was best for him. He had the opportunity to seek a word from the Lord. In fact, we've seen him several times already seek a word from the Lord. He wanted advice from the Lord. Should I go up? Should I stay down? Should I attack? Should I not? What should I do, Lord? But here, it's like I'm tired of dealing with Saul. I'm tired of these, these past eight to nine years of running for my life. God's not doing anything. I'm going to take care of it myself. So he decides in his heart that this is the thing to do. Well, the problem is that when we decide things with our heart, we do something that we're not meant to do. Things are, should not be decided with our heart and our heart alone. Because the problem with the heart is that it's not a good guide of the will. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, we must understand that sin proceeds from the heart, and that's why it must be guided by the will and by the word of God. I remember when my kids were younger, um, we would, Alicia and I would do this little exercise with them, especially with Jonah. We would get to a certain point where they could be able to detect landmarks on the way home. And then I would tell Jonah, okay, now direct me home from this point. Tell me when to turn right, when to turn left, and, and, and get me there. Well, when you initially do something like that, they're way off, right? I mean, you end up in a different neighborhood or something. And, and then you show them, no, this is the street you miss. This is the street you should have taken. You should have taken a right here, left here. Well, by the time you know it, they're able to detect the way home just based on landmarks. And then eventually, they're able to do that by looking at the street names. Well, at this point, David's doubt, his doubtful heart led him away from God. And he, it led him towards danger and towards trouble. See, David's heart was not ready to be able to guide itself. In fact, our hearts are never, ever ready to guide themselves outside of the word and will of God. We must always be connected to the word of God and guided by the word of God. Even after we were Christians and our hearts are changed, we still deal with sin. And that sin can take us away from the word and the will of God. So we have to be very diligent to follow the word of God because our hearts aren't trained. They're not meant to go at it alone. Just like with our kids, if we would have just dropped them off, imagine us dropping them off at a certain point and say, okay, finding your way home. That would have been a different story. They would have never arrived home, right? But we were able to guide them and showed them this is the way. And when I look at the word of God, the word of God does that for us. Over and over and over, we're exposed to our sin. We're exposed to our mistakes. And through those sins and through those mistakes, the word of God continues to teach us and to show us that's not the way. This is the way. What you did was wrong. This is the way you're supposed to do it. And eventually, it just begins to sink in and we start to walk that way. Why? Because our hearts are led by the word of God. So the moment you decide with your heart and your heart alone over and above what God has said, you have already started down the wrong path. That's like the beginning is the end, so to speak. You're already headed the wrong way. See, the heart is a beautiful thing in the hands of God. But in our hands, 
the heart can be deceptive and misleading. Listen to this from Matthew 15, verses 18 through 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. See, if not led by the Spirit of God and substantiated by the Word of God, your heart cannot be trusted. And we have to realize that. Think about it this way. Think about how you react to things when they initially happen. Let's say something negative happens uh, in your life. What is your initial reaction? Your initial reaction is either anger, doubt, or fear. If, if, you're thinking, if you're just thinking with your heart and your heart alone, I guarantee your initial reaction to anything unfavorable, anything that is a struggle, anything that is hard to go through, it's doubt, it's fear, and it's anger. And you have to go through these things in order to get to the point where you humble yourself before God and you remember what God's word tells you. We all go through that. See, those things proceed from the heart. Doubt, fear, anger, that all comes from the heart. Until we are reminded about the word of God, until our heart is calibrated by the spirit of God, through his word, do we start to think in a godly way. So we have to remember that when it comes to doubt, doubt is devised in the heart. And we have to be very careful about the decisions we make with our hearts. Are our hearts being guided by the word of God? Or are we doing what seems best to us? Secondly, doubt leads to despair. Notice how David came to his foolish decision to escape the Philistines, not through the guidance of faith. It wasn't about like, hey God, I see what's happening now. It's been happening for a long time. I'm just going to continue to trust you. It wasn't through faith, but rather it was through despair. It was the opposite. It was, hey, Lord, I've been going through this for eight or nine years. I'm tired of this. I want it to end. I want it to end. And I'm ready and willing to do anything that I have to in order to make it end. Well, in verse one, this is what David says. He says, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is this despair that we see. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the border of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Now, I think it's funny that David thinks Saul will be in despair of seeking him. And yes, David uh, or Saul gets tired of chasing after him, leaves him alone for a little bit. But it's really David who is in despair more than Saul. See, David believed that there was nothing better for him than to escape to the land of the Philistines. I think that's really important for us to notice. He thought there was nothing better than that. Nothing. Well, what does that mean? Well, number one, he didn't confirm this with God. So how did he come to this conclusion? Well, he listened to the doubt and despair in his heart over and above what God had already told him. See, that means... He thought it was better to be in the presence of his enemies, the presence of his 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 greatest enemy. I, I know his greatest enemy right now is Saul. We can call the Philistines the second greatest enemy. Either way, the Philistines hated David and he thought it was better for him to be in their presence 
than to be under the protection and guidance of God. That's what he decided in his heart. That's where his heart took him. It took him to despair. It reminds me of the Israelites whenever they were coming out of Egypt and they were wandering the wilderness and God was providing for them by night, by day. He was leading them. It was a beautiful thing. If you look at it from our point of view where God's in their midst, he's tabernacling around them and he's leading them, he's feeding them, he's giving them water to drink. Uh, He's providing for them in a way that they hadn't been provided for in a very long time. He's loving them in a way that they have not been loved ever. And the people grumbled and complained. And they said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They said, I wish we had died in Egypt. Because it's better than what the Lord can provide for us here. At least there... We sat by the meat pots, they said, and they ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's what they charged Moses with. It really just reminds me of that. That's where doubt can take us. When we begin to doubt the promises of God, when we begin to doubt the existence of God, when we begin to doubt the word of God, It takes us to despair, and despair can be a very ugly place. Despair has a way of making you want to settle for less rather than trusting on the leading, the protecting, and the provisions of the Lord. You ever notice that when you're doubting the Lord, it's just like, well, what you have, what you said you had for me is is, is, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to conjure up something for myself. It doesn't seem like I'm going to get that, so I'm going to try to make the best of it and just make something happen. Well, we settle for less rather than trusting in what the Lord is doing in our lives. David had forgotten or he had ignored the anointing. Remember, we have to remember that David was anointed. He was anointed to be king. And this was this was not only prophesied about, but also this was backed up over and over and over by the Lord, showing David, Saul's not going to take your life. You are going to be king. I will make sure of it. Well, David had either forgotten or ignored the anointing of God and also the promises of God for his life. God said he would be king, but David doubted that promise. Now, this is going to sound really harsh, but I, I, I don't see where it's not true When he doubted the promises of God, he made God out to be a liar. That's what we do. Think about it. God has said. And if we believe who God is, that he's holy, he's completely true, doesn't make mistakes. If he said he's going to do this and we doubt it, then we're calling God a liar as well. We're saying to God, I don't believe you. You've lied to me about this promise. You lied to me about your capabilities. You lied to me about your commitment to me. When we doubt God, that's what we do. We basically make him out to be a liar. But the Bible says, let God be true and every man be false. 
When we doubt God, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. It's our own struggle. It's our own sin. See, David is far off from the day that he faced Goliath here. Far off. He's a different person at this moment. Back then, he was only a boy, and yet he had, a faith, he had, he had the faith of a giant. David said when he, faith Goliath, when he faced Goliath, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Man, that, that's an awesome picture. You see this young man who can barely even pick up Saul's sword and use it. He can barely even do the things that he needs to do as far as against this mighty warrior. He has to rely completely on God. And yet he has this faith that God will deliver him. And now we see an older version of David. Supposed to be more mature, more physically capable, wiser. And he's running away again to his enemies. Like I said, this is not the same man that we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But that's where despair can take us. That's where we have to be careful. Obviously, yes, David is the same man. Yes, he has grown wiser. Yes, he has grown stronger. But here in this moment, he seems really, really weak. Why? Well, it's because of despair. See, many see doubt as a harmless thing. But the truth is that doubt is like a dangerous sickness that can spread throughout your faith. You have to be very careful. Doubt is not the absence of faith in a Christian. Rather, it's the lack or the strength of it. The more doubt, the less faith. The less faith, the more despair. I, I want to use this biblical example from Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 31. This is a story of Peter where he wanted to walk on the water. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's what happens to us. Notice Peter's despair. It was fine until he started to pay attention to the wind and the waves and everything going on around him. Peter didn't have to deal with that as long as David dealt with his situation. But re regardless, it was an acute onset of despair. And when his heart was in despair, his faith lessened, began to sink. But then on the other side, Peter knew who to call out to. Lord, save me. And then we see Jesus' actions. He says, the Bible says that he immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I'd like to ask you that this morning. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Doubt is a real thing, but in the trials of doubt, let our prayer be, I believe, help my unbelief.
And then the last thing is that doubt ends in greater disobedience. First of all, I want to recognize that doubting is sin. Romans 14 tells us that that anything that does not proceed out of faith is sin. So we have to recognize that doubting is sin. When we doubt the word of God, when we doubt his power, when we doubt him at all, it is a sinful thing. But the thing with doubt is that it it leads us to greater disobedience. Once David is allowed to live in the land of the Philistines, he begins to live a life of disobedience toward the Lord. So it does work out for him. Achish does receive him, gives him a land, says, hey, you can settle here. Well, in order for that to happen, we must acknowledge that David is forced to make an allegiance with an unbelieving, idol-worshipping king and nation. That was a sin against God. He had to make that allegiance. King Achish and his expectations of David was that David would make raids against his own people, against the Israelites. In fact, he came to check up on David often. Hey, where did you go? David would come back with spoils and Achish would want to know, where'd you get that from? Where'd you go? Are you going to the people I told you to? Are you destroying your own people for me? Because that's the only reason why you can live here. So he made this, this, this contract, or rather this covenant with Achish in order that he can live in Ziklag. So it seems as if David agreed to betray his own people. Even though he didn't carry that out, he at least agreed to it so that he could live in safety. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. David had the responsibility of protecting his people, even though he wasn't officially the king yet. But now... David has left his people, deserted the Israelites to basically live under Saul. And we saw the king that Saul has been, a ruthless tyrant. David has abandoned his people, and now it's up to them to be able to make it with Saul alone. But David has peace. David's in a place of safety. David's okay. See, in some sense, David has turned his back on his own people. And in some, in other sense, he has turned his back on God. He's left his people and said, you know what? I'm, I'm just not really going to, I'm not going to be who I've been called to be because I personally have this greater thing that I'm dealing with. I need some time alone. I need some time to myself. I need some time to recuperate. And I need some time to let this pass, and then we'll see what happens after that. Well, secondly, with the agreement David enacted to raid his kinsmen, he either had to do it or he had to lie about it. Well, he chose to lie about it. Instead of attacking his own people, David attacks other neighboring enemies and basically takes everything that they have. But the thing is, is that every time Achish comes by to take account of what David has done, David has to tell him, well, no, I didn't go to the place where I was supposed to. Or, no, excuse me, he tells him, this is where I went. But actually, he actually went to towns and people around the Philistines. The Bible says, such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. 
Now, when you read it, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but let's understand this. David was doing this according to his own thinking. He was not seeking the Lord in any of this, and the end result was that David was a servant of Achish, not a servant of the Lord. His allegiance was with Achish at this point. Not that he completely turned his back on the Lord, but he's running from Saul in fear. His heart is in despair. And this doubt that started off small has grown so much that now it's taking him to a greater disobedience. He's more worried about what Saul would do to him than what the Lord could do to him. And we lose sight of that so many times. There is no mention of David seeking the Lord while making the decisions to hide in the Philistine territory. Or there is no mention of him seeking the Lord while he's living there in Philistine territory. He was there for a year and four months. See, David lived in hiding not only from Saul. I'm convinced he lived in hiding from the Lord. Kind of reminds me of Moses after Moses committed his sin and ran out to the desert to die. He said, I'm just, I'm just going to forget everything and try to hide from Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and also the Lord. And guess who found him? It was the Lord who found him. We can run all we want, but we cannot run away from the Lord. Jonah as well is another story of that. Called to do something, didn't want to do it, tried to hide. The Lord found him. See, doubt, as it grows, has a way of interfering with our closeness with God. If there is doubt in your relationship with the Lord, then trust begins to deteriorate. If there is no trust, then there is no spiritual intimacy. Your spiritual closeness with God begins to suffer. Our spiritual intimacy to God, it's vital for our obedience to him. We are most obedient to the Lord when we are walking closer with him. That's been my experience, and I believe that's also been yours. It's like the song says, I am weak, but thou, but thou, excuse me, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. I think we need to often, often we need to look at our lives. And we need to Check ourselves with the doubt that we have in our hearts. Everyone has it. First of all, let's recognize that it is a sin to to doubt the power, the promise, providence of God. Perhaps the doubt you have in your heart of God's promises, of God's protection or God's provision, perhaps it started off small and now it's grown over time. Perhaps it has affected your intimacy with him. You once had a close walk with him. Let's just say you once read the Bible very often, if not daily, more than once a day. Let's say that you spent time in prayer 
to God because you knew that he was your all in all. Let's just say that at one time you served the Lord. He was the first thing you woke when you, he thought, you thought of when you woke up and he was the last thing you thought of when you went to bed. That you committed your life to him. Let's say all that was true. But then seeds of doubt started to go into your heart. Pulled you away from the word of God. Now, the only exposure you have to the word of God is hearing it from a pulpit. Or let's just say prayer. Now you only pray when you feel like there's a real, real need. Serving. Your your service is non-existent. Or you're just doing the easy things. That's a picture of so many people. And they try to figure out, well, where did it go wrong? Where, where, what happened? Started with the seed of doubt. Somewhere along the way. But see, that small seed of doubt grows. Becomes despair. From despair, it grows again and becomes disobedience. From disobedience, it grows again and becomes greater disobedience. And by the time you know it, you feel lost. You're like, I I don't feel close to God. There's something wrong with my intimacy with him. See, when we go through things, when we go through struggle, when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, those things are meant for us to be to get closer to God. If we believe him, if we believe his word, if we believe his power, if we believe who he is, we grow closer to him. But the more doubt that we have, the more we run away from him. If you like intimacy with the Lord, I can guarantee you that you lack obedience to him as well. So my plea to you this morning is that you come back to the savior of your soul. To the one who gave his life for you. I want to leave you with this one passage and then we'll pray. This is Jesus' words to Simon. He says, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In your time of doubt, the devil is looking to sift you as wheat. But praise be to God that we have an intercessor who has prayed for us, for us to keep our faith. And in fact, through our trials, through our tribulation, the faith that we have, he will grow it. But let's not doubt him at all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.